Timeline Podcast. I'm Adam Jacques Finally have a full crew on the podcast, Corbin and Tyler and myself all together all at the same time. Feels like it's been a little bit rare over this past month, but I think we've, uh, we'll, we'll be a little bit more consistent here, especially as we lead up to football season and things start yeah. calming down. But good to have everyone back here. Corbin, I think uh, you should kick us off here. Got anything exciting going on in your life right now? It is a great day to be a hockey fan in the state of Colorado. That's all I got to say. Uh, <laughs> boys won the cup in game six down in Tampa. Uh, guys, truly remarkable run. And just as I know you guys aren't big hockey fans, just as sports fans, they won 10 games on the road out of their 16 wins. And they clinched every series on the road to uh, to win the Stanley Cup. So uh, between DU winning the uh, the college hockey national championship and obviously the Avs now winning the Stanley Cup, we are we are hockey town in this country, which is great. Corbin, obviously, you know, I went to that bachelor party in Denver. I guess it was during the Western Conference Finals. And going to McGregor Square, going to, I think it was Tom's Watch Bar. Oh, yeah, great the, the Just the, the scene, like, you know, you think that you know, like, what passionate fan bases are. And we'll touch on that here as we get a little bit later into the <laughs> podcast with OU's fan base. Uh, but, no, I think the playoff hockey just kind of hits different. I mean, just being there for that one game, I'm a Dallas Stars fan, but – being there for that, you know, knowing that you're a huge Jazz fan, you know, we we followed it the whole rest of the playoffs. So, how low key you were hoping that was going seven, though, right? Because you would have had tickets for it. Honestly, it was kind of a win win. I mean, I, I coughed up a good chunk of change for uh, those two game seven tickets, so I get that back. Uh, and nice. with all the, you know, as you guys know, the house stuff we got going on, all the moving, like, mm. could use that money back. Uh, a little, little extra change in the pocket. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, it would have been great, but I, I would have been nervous out of my mind guys. And I wouldn't be here right now because game seven would have been tonight. So, uh, yeah. So you guys can send thank you notes to the abs. I was able to make it this week. Is there, are you going, are you to, going to the parade? parade? Yeah, there it I is. I'm going to go to the parade. Yeah. <laughs> I am going to go to the parade. I mean, I started skating when I was three years old and I've never seen the Stanley cup in person. So like, you never know if it's going to be back in Denver. So I, I'm not a big parade guy, but like, I, I want to go see the cup. I think it'll be really cool. When, when is that? This Thursday. Friday? Thursday? Yeah, okay. Thursday. Yep. Off. I'm just going to take take off. Yeah. Call in it's, sick. Uh, there you go. Yeah, it's also me and my fiance's one year. So, you know, just all it's all Ooh. it's all matching up. So Are you all doing anything for the fourth? Either we one of have, you? We have plans, uh, I think, every night, Friday through Monday night. We're just going nice. to hit as many shows as possible. But out here, everything's so dry. There's a lot of cancellations in the fireworks shows. So kind of sad. Yeah. Adam? Well, I hope to see pictures of you like climbed up a, a light pole or something uh, <laughs> on the streets of Denver. Um, I know there will be some crazy stuff because oh, yeah. uh, they love the abs up there. So unfortunately, the, the awkward transition from one team that won a championship to a team that was not able to pull it off, OU baseball. I can't say enough about how, I guess, grateful I am for what this team was able to accomplish over the last two really two and a half months the way they ended this season and yeah it was disappointing to not be able to take out Ole Miss but at the same time it this and I guess I, I'll ask you guys this feels like the most surprising result for just an overall season in OU sports since that 2000 national championship team like who saw this one coming I think I, I would even take it a step further. I would kind of compare this to Buddy Heald's senior season at, at Oklahoma, the Final Four run. I mean, we but didn't we kind of didn't we expectation. That, well, I, I don't think that you really ever expect Oklahoma to make a Final Four in men's basketball. I mean, if we're being realistic, but as good as as good as that team was, you know, it, 
playing, uh, you know, going up against Kansas, you know, twice really battling it out, you know, almost winning the Big 12 Conference, going all the way to the Final Four. There was so much momentum for that basketball team, just like there was for baseball. And then just like we ran into a buzzsaw in Villanova, we just kind of ran into a perfect storm with, you know, fantastic pitching from Ole Miss. And, um, you know, uh, it was – we talked about it last week, Adam, because this team was, you know, picked to finish preseason number six just in the conference alone. You know, if Oklahoma doesn't win a national championship, like, can you be disappointed, even though we've gotten this far into the season? And I mean, honestly, it kind of was a little disappointing, especially once you saw, you know, the performances from Jake Bennett uh, and Cade Horton, who hopefully that's not the last time we see him in a Sooners uniform. Um, but yeah, it was uh, it was kind of a tough pill to swallow. Yeah, so let's dig in a little bit there. I think some people are are down on what Jake Bennett did on the first uh, the first game on Saturday night. He did have ten strikeouts through six innings. Oh, I'm not. I hope that's not what okay. how that came across. Okay. No, well, not yeah, at all. I know. I know some people are. I mean, he had some wild pitches that maybe the catcher should have been able to stop and, and didn't. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I thought he was overall. He put you in a great spot. I don't think that um, you know the the team just came prepared to play that night. You had errors in the field. Um, the shift was kind of strange. I never really like running the shift, to be honest. It seems like they always are able to hit it the other way. Um, and then Kate Horton on Saturday or Sunday, rather, uh, gave you, you know, the game of his life. I think he set the record for strikeouts in a college world series, uh, final game with 13. Okay. So, you, I mean, you had everything defensively and, and you set up perfectly on Sunday for, uh, Trevin Michael to come in and close it out. And I wouldn't change a thing if I had done it again, if I was in skip Johnson's shoes, like that was the formula was get a hundred pitches from Cade move to your closer and Trevin Michael, who has been absolutely amazing throughout the entire postseason, And then out of nowhere, he just gives up you know, multiple runs, which um, who could have predicted that? Um, you That's really didn't have a choice. Yeah, you had no choice. I mean, Kate Horton's a guy that he kind of hundreds about his limit there. So it, it was frustrating. Um, Ole Miss was a team that I think it was about two weeks ago before the World Series even started that Corbin and I talked about as uh, a team on the other side of the bracket that you really didn't want to see in that championship series. And lo and behold, there they are. And not only do they absolutely, you know, thwart our, our hot hitting, but they do it without their best pitcher. He didn't even pitch yeah. at all. He was probably in line to start on the Monday evening game. So mm-hmm. it's tough. But at the same time, you look at it and you go, hey, this is something that no Big 12 team has even played in the uh, final series since 2009 when Texas did it. So over a decade, I know you was the first one to do it. It wasn't Oklahoma State. It wasn't TCU or any of the other programs that have had, you know, a lot of success in this, uh, in this tournament, it was, it was OU that did that. And so you just have to look at that and go, okay, I think, I think OU baseball is back to being what we think it can be and what it was up until probably about a decade ago. So a lot of optimism, a lot to be excited about, even though you do lose some key pieces going forward. Adam, I think that was one thing I was curious to get your opinion on. Is this a, we look back in a few years and be like, man, it's been a while since we've made a postseason run, or do you think this really kind of <laughs> changes the tide of where this program's headed? You know, the we always talk about that COVID year and what could have been. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that you could necessarily, and mainly we were talking about that in regards to Skip Johnson's you know coaching security. Now that you have a run to the, final series in in Omaha, I think now you can validate that 2020 year and say, yes, that was, um, maybe they weren't an Omaha team. Maybe they lose in super regionals, but they were the quality of team. And now you can validate that by saying, okay, two out of the last three years, we know we've had really good teams. So I do think going forward, I think this will, 
getting to Omaha is tough. I don't know that OU will necessarily be back next year or, or the year after that or four years from now. Um, but can it be a team that competes to get to super regionals, you know, and, and maybe host the super regionals, um, mm-hmm. be one of the elite, you know, 16 teams out there. Um, that would be huge. So um, I definitely think this is a, a turn in the right direction for, for OU baseball. Uh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I did, go, ahead, Tyler. go ahead. No, go ahead. No, one thing, uh, probably a little bit more disappointing than the actual on field performance uh, in the championship series was, was in the stands. And let's be honest guys, like, we, we see it time and time again where anything, any sport excluding football and and probably softball to an extent just because the championships in Oklahoma City, uh, OU fans just, they just don't seem to travel very well. And maybe I can't say anything. You know, I didn't go. Um, I don't think either one of you guys went. So it was one of those things where like maybe we aren't the ones to talk, but, but guys, Ole Miss brought the whole stadium. And so I just wonder how as, as a closer state, as you would think a more prideful fan base – I mean, we were kind of embarrassed in the stands in that championship series, were we not? Yeah, I talked to a guy that actually made the trip up there, and he said for, I believe it was the second game on Sunday, which I can't say anything. You know, I didn't watch it. I was on the golf course when it was happening, so we'll we'll, we'll forget that point. But uh, he said it was uh, flat out. It was 85-15 or maybe even 90-10 Ole Miss fans, you know, the, that was the majority uh, of the crowd on Sunday, which, you know, in collegiate athletics, you know, I, I think that that's probably, um, you know, in terms of a home field advantage where the crowd can actually have, you know, an impact on a game. I think that college um, athletics is one where the fans really do have that more so than in, in like the NFL or the NBA. Um, but I, I think, and, you know, guys, we've talked about this, not, not just in baseball, not just in basketball, but I, I even think sometimes in, in the sport of football here at Oklahoma, our fan base is very reactionary driven. You don't always have the full 110%, you know, the, you know, going crazy cheering, you know, from the, from the time that the ball's kicked off all the way to the, you know, final whistle. Um, Just like in in everything, I I don't, I think that we ran into not just a buzzsaw in the, in the team that we played in Ole Miss, but also we kind of got a welcome to the SEC type type of uh, experience uh, on Saturday and Sunday against Ole Miss. And when talking about the fan bases and the passion, you know, Football, we all know that the SEC is king when it comes to passion, but you know, baseball is not far behind it. When you look at some of the teams, and you know, Adam, you even sent us the information about the attendance uh, from you know teams like Arkansas, Texas A&M, Alabama, Tennessee. It is a different ball game once you get once in collegiate athletics in that part of the country. And I think that OU, we're going to have to make some changes, not just as a program with you know the way that we recruit. Um, with the way that uh, you know our facilities are and now, it kind of looks like we're kind of going in the right direction, Adam, with our uh, facilities upgrade coming to baseball here pretty soon. But we also have to change the way in which we travel um, because once you're in the SEC, home teams, you know, games that are going to be played at Eldale Mitchell Park. Once you're playing in the SEC, I guarantee you, you'll see four, five, six thousand Arkansas fans four or five, 6,000 Texas A&M fans. So Oklahoma is really going to have to adapt and be able to travel and support this team on the road. It's interesting because with Ole Miss, you can't make the excuse that the other fan base is richer. Definitely not true coming from Mississippi. Um, no offense to anyone from there, but uh, it's a different economy there. It's not a larger fan base, that's for sure. Um, you know, the state of Oklahoma itself has a million more people than the state of Mississippi. So um, OU fans were closer. They had more resources to get there. They had a larger fan base. 
I think part of the problem is that the fan base itself really didn't know that baseball season is happening in, in a lot of cases. And I'm kind of made that sarcastic joke a lot when I was working, uh, you know, as the, um, you know, manager of, of ticket sales for baseball, as far as, Hey, most OU fans don't even know that we're playing because mm-hmm. they're so focused on basketball. If they're in the tournament or football off season. Um, and, and now, softball. and now softball. Yeah. It's it, softball's picked up in the last two or three years, like a ton more, even though they were winning championships before that, but just the, yeah, the OU fans, they almost kind of pride themselves on, Oh, I don't watch baseball. I only watch softball because it's sure. easier. And I'm like, you don't have to watch every game. In fact, you could probably watch like zero games in the postseason, but at least follow the tweets, you know, see what's going on, check in, read a game recap once in a while, know who's good, know, know if you want a series or how things are trending. You don't have to watch the entire game. Um, you know, that's a lot of time to put into that, but at least know what's going on so that you can be engaged and be prepared to, hey, this team could make a run to Omaha. And, you know, I have some investment in that. And, and the fan base is just not there. Um, I, I guess the, the question I have too is like, Besides winning, like what changes this culture? Because most of these teams are winning at super high levels and you can't say that winning was the problem this year for baseball. Like, so what, what changes this fan culture? I, I, the only thing I can put on it is simply being challenged by another fan base. Um, I, I do think they, I do think this fan base responds well when challenged. And so I'm curious, you know, when they start experiencing, um, the type of environments that away fans will bring to Norman when we enter the, enter the SEC, type of environments that we'll see when we're on the road. I wonder if that can invigorate something. But outside of that, there's nothing you can say and there's nothing you can do to change what this is because it's been like this for a long time. And I know it, it kind of sucks for baseball because it's always going to be viewed in the same lens as softball just because of the timing and obviously the type of sport but guys, if the if the women's college world series wasn't in Oklahoma City, this would be the exact same for softball too. Um, I, I don't see it being any different. If the softball world series was in Omaha, I'm not saying old I'm not saying OU fans would be outnumbered as bad, but they wouldn't fill they wouldn't fill the stadium like we're we're, we're used to seeing. That's that's just a given. So I, I really think it's like football is the only thing that kind of gets this fan base to travel. Um, but we know this is a I'm trying to say this appropriately. This is a uh, non-intimidating fan base at the end of the day. And that's just kind of the truth of it. It's it's almost like we're too successful and we rely on tradition and, and oh, the best program since, you know, the modern era and those types of things and throw those types of stats and facts out on Twitter where we're safe. But we don't want to go out. Um, it, 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 yeah, it doesn't. I mean, it, it plays to us as OU fans, but not to anybody else really. But yeah, it's almost like we're a victim of our own success because if – like Ole Miss, they, that was, I think, their first team championship. Maybe they won something, you know, minor like equestrian or swimming, you know, a couple of years ago. But that was their first major team championship. Like they don't have their anything to hang their hat on, and they're showing up in force. Corbin, I think you hit the nail on the head when talking about, you know, what can be the difference, what can spark that change. And, you know, I'm going to make a, another example of football. You know, Oklahoma football, what's been the what's been the biggest thing that's forced us to kind of change and adapt? It's the fact that, you know, we we can play well all season, but once you come up against an Ohio State, a Clemson, an Alabama, or a Georgia, and you get your ass kicked, you being challenged like that, it kind of forces you to have to adapt and change the way that you play the game. And this is very, very similar, uh, I think, in terms of a fan base, in terms of supporting your team. Um, we got a pretty pretty good taste of what that's going to look like in the Southeastern Conference here starting in the next couple of years with what uh, Ole Miss did to us from a fan attendance standpoint. So 
Um, and, you know, guys, distance to Omaha from Norman, Oklahoma, 472 miles from Oxford, Mississippi, 719. So you can't blame it on the distance. You can't blame it on, you know, travel funds or anything like that. Uh, Oklahoma had almost half the distance to get to that College World Series that, that Ole Miss did. And quite frankly, our fans just, just didn't show up. And that's not, you know, I can't say anything. We weren't there. I wasn't there. So, I mean, I can't. I'm just as guilty as the next person, but you know Oklahoma's going to have to adapt and they're going to have to make some changes, especially with football. One thing I'll say here to kind of wrap up baseball, and I think it'll be a good transition into our, our next topic. Um, there's just so many fans that show up in the last two weeks. Like, mm-hmm. I'm grateful to have those fans to be a part of it, but um, and, and just OU fans in general, even the ones that are locked in from from day one. But um, I know a lot of people are saying wanting to spend other people's money. <laughs> um, they want the the new facilities to be paid for by someone richer than them. No one actually wants to really make much of a contribution there. But you also look at just the coaches' salaries too. Uh, Skip Johnson coming in the year two hundred fifteen thousand dollars is his his annual salary. The uh, least, uh, or I guess the the lowest salary that a SEC coach makes is Missouri's. Uh, Steve uh, Beeser, I believe is how you pronounce his name, $470,000. Um, that goes goes all the way up to Vanderbilt's uh, coach who makes 1.6. So there's a lot of money in SEC baseball. And OU's going to have to catch up there. And it's going to it's gonna be one thing, you know, to get SEC mm-hmm. money, but it's going to be another thing on the fan base to actually show up and support this team and buy tickets and go to games and, and so forth. It's not just someone richer than me <laughs> that needs to spend their yeah. money and not me. Um, so... Adam, I think that I does tie have, into a lot to the recruiting, but yeah, go ahead, Tyler. I, I did have a question for you, or maybe it's more just kind of get your thoughts on it. One of the biggest things that kind of stuck out for me when looking at the way that Oklahoma played against Ole Miss over the weekend, we saw this team, you know, during the towards the end of March, the entire month of April, winning the five straight series to close out the Big 12 regular season, winning the conference tournament, going on the road, winning in Gainesville, going on the road, winning in Blacksburg, Virginia, and then starting out 3-0 and in the, in the College World Series, the lineup – has been just on fire. The bats, one through nine, everybody from uh, starting with, you know, Kendall Pettis in the nine hole, getting everything going uh, with, with Spikerman leading off. I, I think that the biggest thing that kind of stuck out for me, you got great performances. I don't care what anybody says. Jake Bennett threw a hell of a game. He did good, a good enough job in game one for Oklahoma to win that game on Saturday. And then Kate Horton, who's just been dominant over the last, you know, four to five weeks. But the big thing, the eye-popping thing when looking at our performance in those two games, a combined eight total hits in 18 innings of play against the Rebels. So just Adam, do, do you think that this is, was the moment too big for Oklahoma? Did the, um, did Oklahoma, you know, by going three and zero, getting the extra amount of rest, did the, the, was there a rust factor or just, do you just think it was kind of a team of destiny with Ole Miss and, oh, you just kind of ran into a buzzsaw? I think Ole Miss is a buzzsaw. I mean, they had the incredible pitching and People kind of looked at them as a Cinderella being the last team in the tournament. Like, no, come on. This team seven was ranked and, number seven and 14 in conference yeah. play. Yeah, but they were ranked number one at one point in the season. They were number five coming in preseason. Like, this team had loads of talent and they just didn't get their act together until, yeah. um, you know, here in the, the postseason. So, yeah, OU's hitters could have been better. I think strategically, you would have liked to have seen them change up some of their, their strategy at the plate as far as what they were going to swing at, when they were going to swing at, and so forth. Um, I mean, Treadaway and, and Peyton Graham basically went cold at the plate. Blake Robertson's been cold the entire postseason. Um, he was your leading hitter for, throughout most of the regular season and was just basically non-existent. And it didn't matter for most of the games. OU was able to get around that, but it comes back to bite you when you have you know your, your two, three, four 
hitters in a row there doing absolutely nothing on top of, uh, you know, Wallace Clark and Kendall Pettis, who were phenomenal, um, you know, at the plate in at Virginia Tech and at Florida, but then they get to Omaha. And I think between the two of them, they combine for maybe two hits across multiple games. Yeah. So like, that's just a big piece of your lineup. Brett Squires gets his, uh, his hand broken in game one in Omaha. So it just, it ran out of gas and, and your top guys that you normally could count on really weren't able to produce anything. We'll leave Cade Horton out out of this question because we'll talk about him here towards the end of the podcast. But outside of losing Tanner Treadway, the redshirt senior, going into next season, you've got a large chunk of this current team coming back for another season. Is Oklahoma in danger of maybe losing anybody else? Maybe whether it's MLB draft going early, like Cade Horton, Peyton Graham, does he kind of dip his toe to possibly going into the MLB? Or do you think that this is an opportunity for Skip to return 95% of the production from this team going into next season? I think Peyton Graham's a lock. Uh, Jake Bennett's gone. Uh, David Sandlin has indicated he's returning. As far as we know at this point, I don't think he's going to be you know super high draft pick to, uh, to warrant leaving. So You think like Graham and Bennett are gone? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, without a doubt in my mind, I think they're both gone. So um, you do have you know some good freshmen coming back. You got Jackson Nicholas. I think he moves up in the lineup. He showed a lot of home run power throughout the uh, you know his time starting. You can start a full year. I think you like Wallace Clark if he can develop a little bit more consistency at the plate. Spikerman's there. Pettis is there. You've got some good guys. You got Kyle Nevin transferred in from Baylor, hit over three hundred. So there's some pieces. Um, and there's some good recruits coming in. We'll see what they can piece together. I think this is going to be a, a destination for portal portal guys as well. So um, a long way to go. And I think it's going to be a drawn out process, you know, with the draft and how that works. It's a lot different than football or basketball where guys can come back even after getting drafted once they see the numbers. So uh, we shall see. But uh, future overall yeah. pretty bright regardless of you know, how good or, or bad this team is next year in my opinion well let's transition let's talk a little bit of football I feel like it's been a month since we've actually had a football topic on this podcast so it's kind of nice uh you know having baseball go on this long run it shortens the off season for OU fans but guys I, I want to touch on recruiting here a little bit and obviously I wasn't able to partake in this conversation with you guys a couple of weeks ago uh, but Oklahoma did land another um, three-star offensive lineman. Three-star U uh, is a hashtag that's kind of becoming famous on the message boards. Uh, and that is 2023 offensive lineman Heath Ozida. I'm gonna, that's what I'm going to go with. Six foot six, 296-pound offensive tackle. Um, guys, not the greatest highlight tape in the world, but all in all, somewhat of a solid player. Pretty good footwork. Uh, plays a little bit high, so needs to improve his pad level. That's going to come with time with Bill Beanbow. Uh, and guys, um, Heath is, uh, looks like Oklahoma's eighth commitment thus far in the 2023 class and the second offensive lineman in the class so far. And according to 247 Sports, uh, he is the number 45 overall offensive tackle in the country and the number eight player from the state of Washington. So, Corbin, are you excited about this? Or you see the three-star, you see the red hair, and just like, eh, it is what it is. Uh, somewhere in the middle, I think. Um, I mean, the guy did have offers from Stanford and Utah, two programs that uh, tend to have some decent O linemen. Um, but if those are your best offers, like, I, let's be honest, guys, it, this is a last minute offer. Guy accepts when you just fill a spot. That is what this is. Now, OU's good enough where those last minute offers can be three stars and not, you know, some two star, one star, unranked guy. Like, I don't know. 80% of the programs out there would probably have to resort to at this point. Um, 
but yeah, guys, I think I think the entire fan base is sick of the three stars. Um, we need something to be excited about. Unfortunately, nothing against this kid personally, but he's probably not getting anybody excited at the moment. So um, question marks loom, not only with Venable's recruiting approach, um, but over the past few years with Biedenboe's recruiting track record. Um, and so there are certainly some things that seem like they need to be addressed. Now you go out there and you get the uh, the Caden Green kid. Maybe things start to change. But now Missouri is, you know, quote unquote, making a run, making things interesting. If, if we if you lose him after apparently leading, you know, for all of this time, then yeah, I, I, it feels like it feels like we're kind of walking on eggshells a little bit where things are kind of just ready to break. It won't be the first time that's happened. Um, I don't need to, to mention names because that could draw some nightmares. But yeah, if you look at the overall class, oh. uh, can, can can you guys name off the top of your head our second ranked recruit right now? Behind Jackson Arnold, who's obviously number one. Uh, uh, it's the uh, receiver. It's the receiver from Florida, isn't it? Ebron yeah. or whatever his name. Yeah. So technically, I guess if you're looking at the rivals rankings, yeah, he's technically tied. He's a three star, five point seven. If you sort by rating, Eric McCarty actually comes up first uh, <laughs> or second on the list. Three stars, five point seven. A guy that I think OU fans are excited about. He's an Oklahoma kid. It's much easier to get excited about a three-star Oklahoma kid than it, than anybody else. But when, when the four stars leave, you know, yeah, it does I, make sense. Cole Adams, you know, uh, got uh, crystal ball to Alabama earlier today. By the yeah. Way. Now, there now there was some some good news. I think that today, uh, by Job has OU in his top three. No Vanderbilt there. Ironically, Vanderbilt was the one that I was probably the most worried about because he's Bama's got a very there, though. Very big academic folks, but yeah, Bama's there. Michigan State's there. I think Michigan State's playing the NIL game pretty pretty well. They've got some very wealthy alumni that I think want to see that program do well. So there's some and, encouraging news out there, but it's not a commitment still. Well, I, I think that NIL and the way that the landscape of college football recruiting, the way that it's changed, I think that that's kind of magnified or kind of made it a lot more severe in terms of the fan reaction uh, from this OU fan base was seeing, you know, not – the lack of the number of commitments as we sit here on June 28th. Now I'm not quite ready to, I'm not pushing the panic button by any means. I mean, we'll see what happens over the next couple of months. Brent Venables hasn't even coached his first game yet. Like let's kind of pump the brakes a little bit. We've kind of talked about it for a while now. 2024 kind of feels like that's going to be the first true, you know, real sign like, okay, this is what BV and the rest of this coaching staff can do uh, on the recruiting trail. But guys, I also think too, what makes it what makes it so much more difficult as Oklahoma fans for us to kind of you know process and swallow what we're seeing here is when you see teams like Texas the week that they've just had Texas A&M the last 12 to 18 months that they've had teams right down the road from us teams that are either in our conference or about to be in the same conference with us seeing them what they've done collectively the last couple of uh, you know 12 to 18 months has just been crazy and kind of to put a bow when talking about this new offensive lineman commitment it kind of feels like we're seeing a pattern uh, with Bill Beanbow over the last two to three years where a lot of the kids that come on campus, if they're not from the transfer portal, they're a project case. And I think that that's going to be the biggest difference once you go into the SEC and you start taking on these powerhouses like in Alabama and in Georgia. You can't have a – to me it kind of feels like we're, we're recruiting a lot of kids that are project. It's going to take two to three years for them to be able to – get up to speed, be able to play at the level of physicality and speed that's required at this Division One Power 5 level, whereas you look at places like Alabama, Georgia, and I'm even throwing Texas A&M after what they just did, there is no project 
for a lot of those kids. They are year one ready to go as soon as they hit the ground running, they move in on campus. So Oklahoma, if they want to compete in the SEC, especially in the trenches on both sides of the football, you've got to start landing those four- and five-star guys that can come in and make an impact uh, in year one. And that's something that um, Oklahoma fans, you know, we've struggled with the last couple of seasons, regardless of what, uh, you know, Alex Grinch did or Calvin Thibodeau or Bill Beanbow's doing, we're still struggling, and it kind of feels like we're behind the eight ball compared to some of the other programs in the area. Can I provide some some hope here, <laughs> some little no. bit of, of optimism? No, Adam. <laughs> as, I, as I say, I'm not pressing the panic button. I go on a two-minute rant about that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I'm pretty high on the panic scale. We'll, we'll maybe uh, give that a rating here in a second. So don't don't take this as me being just, oh, everything's great, like, but – if I if I look at some just perspective here, OU's ranked number forty one in the team rankings right now. That's going to change dramatically. OU's not going to not going to finish there. Texas A and M number forty. That's interesting. Uh, Michigan number forty six. LSU with a brand new coach that they seem to be excited about and a much more fertile um, recruiting ground number forty seven. Um, so it's not just OU that's in this position. I also went and took a look at what Clemson had done um, in previous seasons. I specifically went to the 2014 class that had five-star Deshaun Watson on it, a guy that um, was thought a lot more highly of at that point. But if you look at that class, that's the the foundation of the, the team that won the national championship, that first national championship for Clemson. And uh, not only did they have several three stars on that recruiting class. They had several two stars on there and they continued to have several two stars in their recruiting classes for a couple of years. So Clemson from a blue chip ratio perspective, which I think is a very important figure that measures can a team win a national championship. It's basically a flaw proof uh, statistic out there. You know, how many four and five stars guys do you have on your team? Clemson was doing it probably on a little bit low end of that blue chip scale around 66% of their roster being four and five stars. But um, that's about where OU is. They're probably a little bit higher than that right now. So the talent's there. It doesn't have to be all four and five stars, but man, you'd, you'd like to have more balance. Um, especially so the good news here. Is, is, go ahead, Adam. Yeah, no, just especially here as like we start getting into the season. Like we need to have some, some guys lined up. The good news is, is there are plenty of big names out there that are still available. But how long do you give this, guys? If, if we're not in a better spot by... <clears throat> end of July, like where, where's your panic meter go there? If we start heading into basically fall ball and not much has changed, maybe we add one or two more guys that actually have some status, but if not much has well, changed by the time July is done, how are we viewing this? Well, we read it earlier today on the Crimson Corner with, you know, the Josh chat, you know, he, he had September one as kind of his day in which, you know, you can kind of, you, that that's the day where you either go one way or the other I think it's a lot sooner than that. I, I think if you're you're done with the month of July and you still don't have you know maybe two or three more big names like a Caden Green or a Derek LeBlanc, something where you can you know you can basically show your fan base as well as show your you, you know your team like okay we're we're actually making them ground here and we're actually able to close on some of these guys. Um, I, I I'm not pressing the panic button, but once you see what A and M's doing and once you see what Texas is doing. And what we all know that A&M and Texas are doing from an NIL standpoint in Oklahoma, for whatever reason, is choosing to get laps for refusing to play ball, refusing to come to the table. I don't necessarily know what's going on, but we've talked about it for, for months and months now. If Oklahoma is not going to adapt, if they're not going to, you know, 
try to have a seat at the table and fork up some cash, you're going to get lapped. And I think that that's what's happening right now. Because, and we'll talk about it here in a second with with Texas. But I mean, Oklahoma has been the most dominant program in this region, in this area, for the better part of the last twenty years. Texas goes five and seven last year. They've had four different head coaches in the last ten years, and they are kicking OU's ass in terms of gathering talent. Year in and year out. What else out. is new, though? Yeah, that's not that's not news. Really. <laughs> that's, I, I think that that kind of proves my the point that I want to make is that you know just like what you were talking about, Adam, with you know our fan base, you know, kind of hanging our hat on tradition and stuff. What is what is prioritized from a recruit right now? And you know, we're not we're not big recruiting guys. You know, we barely dip our toe in it. But what is a priority right now? It, it's no longer about tradition. It's no longer about where can I go and win a conference championship. That's kind of on the back burner. There's a lot of other factors that are in play right now in terms of getting these kids to actually sign and come play at your program. And OU is struggling right now um, to, to keep up in the in the arms race of college football as it relates to NIL. Yeah, it's NIL, and it's who can put me in the league. And unfortunately, the entire co- – you know, especially on the defensive side of the ball, the entire coaching staff has put people in the league, but they haven't done it at Oklahoma. And I still think that matters. Like you can have skin yeah. on the wall, but if you haven't done it when the place you're at, I still think that matters. And so, um, I, and yeah, even, even on the offensive side of the ball, everybody had tied it to Lincoln Riley. They didn't tie it to DeMarco Murray or Cale Gundy or anybody like that. So yeah. And I, I, I guess what I want to ask you guys, and again, I'm going to pose this question. I've got a couple. I've got a couple A and M guys, and you know, a couple more SEC guys that we're going to have an interview with here a little bit later this summer. But Texas A and M, they've got what one, one nine ten win season in the last decade. COVID year. Texas, yeah, the COVID year. There you go. Uh, Texas five and seven last year didn't have a single player drafted in the NFL this past season. Yet they go out there and they sign a top five recruiting class, and it looks like they're well on their way to another top five, maybe a top three recruiting class. So well, what does OU do, I guess, is, is my question. Maybe that's maybe that's something that we need to ask you know, a future guest that comes on this podcast because at this point right now, I don't know other than forking out just a shitload of cash what Oklahoma can do to keep up with the – up the the five or ten programs. OU's just simply not doing it. Well, I I hate to say that because I think there are more elements than just the money. But let's face it, this is a new era of college football, and the the tables are have somewhat even. But there's also the programs out there that have been paying a lot of money under the table and are experts at that. And now it's become above board, and they can go even further with that and get even more people involved. And um, you know. Maybe it's A and M, maybe it's Texas, maybe it's you know other schools, but they're they're light years ahead of OU in that regard. And OU's almost still trying to hang on to. We don't have to pay guys, um, you know. We can hang on. We're just the winning program, and that's never been enough. Uh, even before A and M was never good, and they were still getting guys because winning doesn't always mean that much to every single mm-hmm. player. There's tons of guys that want tons of other different things, and uh, that's why A and M had continued to recruit at that level. And I realize that's easier for me to say because. You know, I can only contribute so much to actually get a recruit there. And it's going to take thousands, if not millions, to get some of these guys uh, to come to campus. And I'm always not wanting to spend someone else's money. But, like, there's going to have to be some bigger guys that, you know, want to get in and and start buying some of these recruits, honestly. The the problem with what your – I think your argument is, Tyler, is like, okay, let's say we go out and we find a way to match a Texas or a Texas A&M on the NIL line. They're just going to beat it. 
And so at some point, like we, we, it is, it's an arms race that we cannot win because we do not have the sizable fan base and we do not have the financial stability of the fan base that those two programs have. And let's be honest, going back to what we discussed before, we do not have the live or die. Like this is the only thing that matters like some of those fan bases do as well. So it's just not, it's not one we're going to win. And so the thing is though, if, if Venables and company can go out and do it on the field, that is the ultimate Trump, do it on the field put people in the league, then the NIL becomes less important. Like, yeah, you could go make a few hundred grand in your first few years of college or come here and we can make in millions in a few years. And you won't be worried about a couple hundred grand. That's the ultimate Trump. And that's what's going to have to be decided on if he can do that or not. And I think that that is a very tough selling point in, in today's age in 2022 is trying to convince these kids not to accept the, you know, not to have the instant gratification, accept the the NIL money up front and instead come to a place like Oklahoma where you're going to be developed. You know, we're going to bank on instead of giving you this money up front just to come play football for us, we're going to prepare you to where you're able to capitalize on that second contract once you get in the NFL and you're starting, you're, you're able to make that generational wealth uh, type of money. So, um, and, and I guess w- one of the big things that I think has really kind of you know sparked this conversation was the commitment, and we can just briefly touch on this because I do want to get your guys' opinions on has your has your opinion on Texas changed in the last week or so with the commitment of Arch Manning and the I guess the recruiting wave that has come from it, which I think they've gotten what eight commitments in the last three to four days. Has your opinion on Texas changed at all as we sit here on June twenty eighth? Turns out I still hate them. Uh, So, no, my care level is pretty much zero. Like, who knows if Arch Manning even ends up there at the end of the day? And is he any good when he gets there? Like, I don't know. I mean, is Arch Manning really going to be the guy that's going to turn that that locker room around and that culture? Like, I don't think so. Who who cares, really? I guess I, I guess my big deal, I mean, one, just starting with Arch Manning, no, I, I don't think he is as good. I don't I don't think he is the number one recruit in the country right now. I think he's a very good quarterback that plays against terrible competition and is a beneficiary of what his last name is. Now, yep. hopefully Oklahoma has a chance to, you know, um, beat him a couple times here in the future. Um, but I just lost my train of thought. Corbin, what were you about to say? I will say I get his last name is Manning. But his dad is the worst football player of all the Mannings. <laughs> like, let's just <laughs> let's chill out for a second here. I mean, he's not Peyton's son. He's not even Eli's son. He's Cooper's son. And he that's, came, a, he, that's a low blow. Cooper had like a medical thing that kept him out. Yeah. I, 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 all I'm saying is he does not. Going for the throat. Point. Yeah, it is what it is. Uh, but, you know, he, he could turn out to be great. Like it is highly possible. And, and so could Jackson Arnold. And so could a, a lot of the guys around the country. And – Look at Spencer Rattler, five-star, unanimous top quarterback. Didn't pan out. And for a multitude of reasons, you can go round and round circles of why that was the case. But just because you have the name, just because you have the NIL, just because you go to a big-time program does not mean you're going to shift the program where everybody expects you to. Yeah, and I I will say Quinn Ewers is probably the better quarterback between the two, in my opinion. So, But he hasn't played in two years. So he like, what what do we expect from Quinn? I I, I have no clue, yeah, I but I will say if that. you want to be if you want to be scared of a Texas quarterback, Quinn is the one to be scared of, in my opinion, just because he's he's got more. Well, talent. 
and I guess the, to kind of put a bow on this for, from my perspective, to me, it's not that, you know, Arch Manning or Quinn Ewers being on campus in Austin is what has got me worried about Texas. I think what's got me worried about Texas and very, very similar to A&M, you know, A&M's a quarterback away. Uh, but with the University of Texas, you know, they consistently year in and year out have a top five to ten recruiting class. They are bringing in an enrichment of talent every single season. Mac Brown failed at the very end of his season. Charlie Strong failed. Tom Herman failed. Eventually, they're going to get a football coach down there in Austin that can turn this thing around. So I don't know if based, Sark's the based guy. on what. I don't know if Sark is the guy just because we all know what his track record is as a head coach and his win losses and some of the things that he struggled with. But eventually, they're going to get the they're going to get the right guy in there. And if Oklahoma and some of these other teams are refusing to play ball to get the talent in their program then eventually you're going to get yourself in a situation where OU is going to be looking up at programs like Texas, programs like Texas A&M to go along with the Bama, Georgia, LSU, so on and so forth. So I guess my final thing on this is that as we sit here on June 28th, we've seen the first seven months of what recruiting looks like under this current staff. Changes have got to be made. OU has got to get up to speed on this NIL game because recruiting as we sit here today it is way different than it was a year ago. And if we're not going to adapt, we're going to get left behind. The only way OU's catching up to the NIL race is if the NIL gets changed by the NCAA. That's and it. it has That's to. The bottom line. It has to. You would, you would think at some point it does, but does that happen before the NCAA folds up on the football front? Potentially. I, I like. Who knows? The NCAA could not be a thing by the time the NIL thing resurfaces and actually gets corrected the way it was supposed to be done. But, guys, OU's not – they're not in that field to contend with that. They're just not. And so you're going to have to do something different. And the ult- again, going back to what I mentioned before, the ultimate deciding factor of how to counteract that is beating those guys on the field. And guess what? Texas and Texas A&M, at least most years, you're probably playing them both. Go out there and beat them with all their talent like OU's been doing for the past 20 years to Texas. Go out there and beat them and everything will play out just fine. You don't yeah, have I will the talent. You don't have the same level of talent. We ha- we haven't for the last what, twenty five what, years. What's been, yeah. what's been the di- What's been the difference the last five years? It's the coaching. It's always been the coaching the culture. No, I'm saying what what has been the difference this past year or the the past five to ten years between Oklahoma and Texas? It's the coaching. The talent has always been in Texas's favor. So if Texas is able to finally get a coach that can put all of that talent together and get it to gel, OU is not keeping up in the recruiting ranks and bringing in the talent that I think is going to be so, able to compete with, so with those teams. In the, in the year of 2022, Tyler, you're saying that you are scared of Sarkeesian putting it together and you no. think he could be a better coach than Brent Middles. I am. I am saying that with what Texas has got going, with what they've had going for the last 20 years, with the amount, the amount of talent that they bring in, with the amount of money, the amount of resources, them showing how far they're willing to go, how much they're, how deep they're willing to dive into their wallet to get talent on campus, if Oklahoma cannot figure out a way to, to, to compete with that, once Texas gets the right coach in there, whether it is Sark or whether it's somebody else in two, three years, I don't think Oklahoma. I don't think Oklahoma is sitting in a very good position right now because of the rules and regulations, or lack thereof, as it pertains to NIL and the world of recruiting. We have been saying that for over a decade, though. 
at some point, it's not about the coach. It's about the culture that the University of Texas has, and that's not changing anytime soon. Agreed. That we all can agree on. So it, it, unless you're pulling a Nick Saban, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to see it to believe it. And up to this point, we've heard have the argument you were making. We heard about everybody who's come after Mac Brown, every single one. There's been mm-hmm. articles written. It's like Texas is on their way. Texas is on their way. Texas yep. is on their way. Literally last week when Arch uh, committed, Texas is on their way to becoming the SEC power. We've heard this oh, time and oh. time again, and nothing ever changes. So it's going to have to change for me to get on on your side of the argument because they've had some good coaches who have had good backgrounds who should have been able to change the University of Texas and make them a contender, and they haven't done it. And it has nothing to do with the individual at the head coach level. Nothing. It is the culture and is where Texas is as far as their donor base and what they do. And it doesn't work. It's proven. It does not work. I want you, I want both of you guys to rank these three teams in order in terms of the outlook and what you think that the next five to ten years is going to look like from a success standpoint. Which I'm of just these gonna stop you? Hang on, I'm gonna stop you right there. No, because I'm, there's I'm, only there's one program that's going through something completely different than the other two. And so it's we're not just talking about a level playing field here. If you would have asked this same question a year ago, oh, you would be the number one contender on this list you're about to do. But guess 100%. what? They had a head coach leave. They had a head coach leave for another Power Five job. The other the whoever you have on your list is not going through that because that doesn't happen. And when it was a once in a lifetime deal where that happened to us, so it's not a level playing field. The question you're asking. Well, it's only one year removed from from Texas being the, in the exact same situation that we're in right now. So, I mean, no. it's not it's not too being far. Fi- being fired and having a coach leave are two completely different situations. But you're still having to hit the reset button when it when it comes to your coaching staff and your roster turnover. I think that's a completely different argument, in my opinion. That's just me. Okay, that's valid. I, and I, I guess did not expect this today. <laughs> well, I didn't. I and I guess, I guess what? Getting scared if, of Texas. I'm not scared of Texas. My my whole reason for this, I think this entire discussion uh, coming up is we see what Oklahoma is doing three-star talent recruiting-wise. If OU is not willing to adapt and play ball with the big boys in terms of this NIL game, I think that OU's, I think that we're, um, we're going to have some problems here in the next few years. You may be right. It's possible. It's possible. It's all possible. Well, let's, Let's give ourselves some money here so we can play some buy and sell. Uh, we have unlimited funds, and uh, Corbin has written up some uh, some questions for us. So go well, ahead. I got Corbin. some good ones. I don't think this argument's over based on some of the buy or sells I have. Oh, it'll so, come right, back. Here, it'll here come we back. go. All right, so buy or sell. Uh, we've we've mentioned it a few times on this podcast. Uh, we've saved it to the end, but Adam, I'm going to start off with you on this one. Kate Horton will be in a Sooner uniform in the 2023 baseball season. I have to sell this one. I know he's put out some encouraging social media posts about saying until next year um, that has some fans excited. I know a lot of people have talked about him turning down seven figures coming out of high school to come play baseball at OU. I I just don't see it. I mean, he was pitching at such an elite level. I think he does get into the, uh, to the first round there. Now there is a pretty wide range. And I know some people have said, Oh, if he comes back, then he's probably a guaranteed top 10 pick. He's probably making, you know, around $4 million uh, at that point, plus signing bonus uh, versus the end of the first round is probably a little bit closer to two. If he slips out of that first round, I think there's a chance that's when you start getting into that, you know, somewhere around 1.5 million range. And that's probably pretty close to what he was offered out of high school. So 
I, I do think he's a first rounder at, based on what he did to end the season out. He was pretty much unhittable. Um, he was striking out tons of guys. Um, it was, it was incredible what he was doing. Um, but, uh, while I would like to have him back, the kind of the age old saying, and we hear it a lot in football is, well, do you want to be like a third rounder or do you want to be like a first rounder? And it's kind of like, it's kind of silly. And that's kind of the same argument that people are making right now is, do you want to be at the end of the first round or do you want to be a guaranteed top 10 pick? Well, like both of those are good. Just leave, you know? So I, I'm not holding my breath. Yeah. I'm 100% selling this as well. Um, guys coming off of a Tommy John surgery a year ago. I mean, his stock right now, I don't think could get any higher than it is. I mean, he just pitched, you know, he's been dominant the last month of the season. He just put up two, probably his two best performances as a pitcher on the biggest stage in college baseball right now. His stock's not going to get any higher in my opinion. So uh, if you have an opportunity, go get your money, go get your contract while you're, while you can. So as much as I hate that, I think it's going to happen. I would love to see him in an Oklahoma uniform in 2023. Uh, Cade, go get your money. You've earned it. All right, guys, back to the football uh, topic here. Straight back to recruiting. Buying or selling the Sooners will have a top 10 recruiting class in 2022. Go ahead, Tyler. I'm going to buy it. out of the way first. No. Okay. Oh, okay. No, I, oh. Here we are. Where's the money It'll coming lot, from? <laughs> It'll be a lot closer to 10 than it is five. I'll buy it, man. We'll get, we'll get top 10. It might be 10, though. Yeah, that's oh, that's so tough for me to to go right now because of where OU is and the trajectory. I'm going to sell for the moment. I think it's probably more like 11, 12. And we also right, have to right. keep in mind that when Lincoln Riley was here, he averaged, I think, like a 9.5 ranking. So that would be a good year even for Lincoln Riley. So just based on law of averages, I'm going to sell for the moment. Buy or sell sooner, sign more than one five-star in the 2022 class is uh are we considering jackson arnold a five-star even though it's not <laughs> across the board no, not right now <clears throat> sign more than one mm-hmm. so two more uh i'm gonna sell i'm gonna sell uh, as well i i think i'm selling i can't even think of who i hicks i guess would be the closest mm-hmm, i think so i think he's oh, he's, aggie. Great about I think that. he's aggie back and I, I think Caden Green could go into five star territory, but no, I'm I'm feeling iffy about that one too. I'm trying to I'm trying, <laughs> I've been hurt I'm trying to think, I don't think LeBlanc has any I don't think he can get to five star status, he's although he's four. um Is Kamar Wheaton still out there? He, he may be. <laughs> he may be. Is he going to SMU? I think he's at think SMU, he's a, yeah. I think he's at SMU. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm God, gonna I'm gonna sell that. I don't see I don't yeah. see OU signing more than two. We're all on the same page there. So, uh, okay, heading into the season, guys, uh, taking a quick quick look at the early uh, schedule there. Sooners begin the 22 season 5-0. and UTEP, Kent State, at Nebraska, Kansas State, at TCU. Sooners 5-0 and to start kick off the year? Say, say that one more time. UTEP, Kent State, at Nebraska. I should have this Can- memorized. Kansas State, yeah, just unbelievable. Uh, at TCU. To me, that comes down to how highly do you think of Dylan Gabriel and how highly do you think of Adrian Martinez at K-State and uh, Casey Thompson at Nebraska, who I did hear this the other day. Casey Thompson led the Big 12 in touchdown passes last year. Kind of a weird stat Mm -hmm. to think about. Yeah, I think Latrell McCutcheon just gave up another one. (laughs) I will buy because I do think Dylan Gabriel is the best out of those three quarterbacks. 
don't feel super confident, but I will buy it. I'm going to sell it. Um, at Nebraska, K State, at TCU, that's a pretty tough three game stretch, uh, with two of those one. being on the road. So I think they'll lose. They'll lose one of those. Think. And uh, That's where let's, I'm not, as well. let's not forget Chandler Morris is still in Fort Worth. so He, he might not That's even true. be a starter. Max Duggan's still around. We'll see. True. All right. Uh, someone not named OU or Texas wins the Big 12 in 2022. Buy or sell? Ugh. I think I got to sell well, that. The media the is all over Baylor. Uh, I'm treating Baylor the same way I treated Iowa State last year. It's not going to be the same team that, that makes the return. Um, just proving that theory, I'm, I'm worked for me last year. I'm sticking with it. Uh, I'm selling it. I think it's OU or Texas. I don't think Gundy can do it two years in a row. They lost too much off of that defense. I hate, I hate underestimating Dave Aranda just because he proves it time and time again uh, that, that he can do it. So... I think it's OU Texas or Baylor, so two out of the three options. Uh, I'll sell it. I think it's either the Horns or the Sooners. I'm going to shift around my order here because I think uh, this last one may get us a little route up again. Okay, a little fun one here. Adrian Peterson beats Le'Veon Bell in a boxing match in Staples Center. Are you buying or selling? How rid- also, side note, how ridiculous is this? <laughs> I'm Adrian. He must be hurt. Of course we're going to watch, right? Uh, I'm, I'm not buying that. that. I'll, uh, I'll watch it illegally on Twitter or something. Somebody will be streaming it. Yeah, I guess that's fair. If it was on like ESPN. Are there odds on that? There has to be odds on it. Yeah, I'm looking that up right now. There's got to be odds on that. I'll, I'll buy it for fun. I mean, Peterson, he may not have the end of the career that he wanted in the NFL, but the dude is naturally just a freak of nature and strength yeah. and athleticism. So Le'Veon Bell is a very good running back. He's not the freak of nature that Adrian I, Peterson is. I'm a bit confused. Cause like, has this been in the works because they announced it in the fights like a month away. It's like, you can't train in a month to like perform yeah. overly well. Right. July I mean, 30th week from Friday or a month from Friday. These guys aren't the, Aren't probably aren't the sharpest tools in the shed. No offense. So I mean, why why give them a year? Just give them a month and get it over with, so they can get their payday. Any odds, Tyler? I do not see any odds right now. There Adrian will be Peterson, odds. Adrian Peterson is thirty-seven years old. Le'Veon Bell is thirty years old. I don't know. Peterson's got that, that big difference. I mean, Peterson he's he's got the track record. He can he can put a whooping on you. Oh. I didn't I was want gonna, to do that joke. I was going to go down that. And I, I, was like, I was like, don't do it. <laughs> it's true, though. All right, guys. I don't know. Last one. Last one. For a majority of the things that we discussed on this podcast, fan base, NIL, recruiting not after, off to a hot start, buying or selling, Oklahoma becomes the Nebraska of the SEC. Think about it before you answer. Because one thing that I think has to be considered is the proximity in the main recruiting territory that now Brent Venables is going to go after. We are not as balanced coast to coast as we used to be with Lincoln Riley. It's very apparent we were recruiting the Southeast more than anything else. We are on the outskirts of that recruiting territory. There's a chance this does happen. I don't think it's likely, but but there's an argument to be had here. Lay this out for me. Us becoming the Nebraska of the SEC is what? Bottom, a bottom feeder? A 
I think win Tennessee in the year. Okay, yeah. I like, what's the equivalent of that half? A bottom half. Nebraska's been to a Big Ten championship. I mean, they're not irrelevant, but it's a bottom half of the SEC consistently. They're so kind essentially, of relevant for being irrelevant. <laughs> so, like a Mississippi State or an Arkansas. Like an A&M without I, talent? I would say like Tennessee. <laughs> exactly what Tennessee is, pretty much. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sell it. I... No, I'm going to sell it. Yeah, I don't see us being a bottom half team in that conference. I just don't. I just don't see it. I mean, I think the I think that the NCAA or the federal government somebody's going to get a handle on this NIL stuff eventually. So I think that once that gets once that comes into play, once the SEC patches on our logo, that's been kind of one of the biggest selling points that's been used against Oklahoma in the last two to three years that we've come to find out. Uh, Texas A&M. Uh, but yeah, I just don't see us being a bottom half team in the SEC. If you're putting your hope in the government or the NCAA to come save you, <laughs> they're good one luck the same. to you. Good luck to you, Tyler. I, I will to, sell, but I'm for not, a different I'm reason. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. I'll sell for a different reason. Nebraska, when they moved to the Big Ten, lost their main recruiting territory. OU's not losing a main recruiting territory. In fact, they're enhancing their ability in that territory in my opinion by you know having the sec presence and they're opening up some new doors in the southeast to say this hey we'll be, be playing good. in your backyard you know every uh, other year or hey you can come to ou now dallas houston guys you don't have to go to a&m where they haven't won anything um so i i think sadly i do think ou takes a step back and i hate that um but it's not going to be nebraska level the only argument I'd say to kind of like go against it, and I'm not disagreeing with you, I'm just playing devil's advocate here, but now if you're every other team in the SEC, you're like, now not only are we coming to Texas one time every few years, but now we're coming potentially three times a year. Um, coming to Oklahoma once a year. Right. Uh, I mean, everybody, all the good all the good players leave Oklahoma for other schools anyway. So, you know, it's, it's just part of it. Uh, now they get more of a reason to do that. So... I don't know. I, I'm in agreement. I'm going to sell it, but I like, I see a path to get there. And that kind of worries me like that. There is even like a path for us to kind of go down that route. Yeah. Yeah. That's all I got. That's all your buying sells. Is way there to, any, and us on a downer. It, <laughs> yeah. Is wah, there, wah. is there anything that can happen this year results wise on the football field that will make you feel even better, better or worse going into the sec? You go win a big 12 title. I feel great. Okay. I yeah, think win that's a Big the, 12 title in year that's one. The that's the standard. Yeah, I, especially I with, with that. all the moving pieces. Yeah, I think that would be very impressive. You have to show everybody you haven't taken a step back. That You, you, you kind of have to. Or, yeah, I feel like you have a reason to be concerned about where we're headed. It's nice talking football again, finally. <laughs> we <laughs> yeah, will get excited at some point. Yeah, Definitely got the blood boiling, so... If you made it this far, make sure to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at The Mainline Pod. And, of course, check us out on YouTube. The uh, Mainline Podcast is where you can search for us there. So uh, thanks to everyone who tuned in this week, and we will see everyone again, uh, getting everyone riled up and getting some good football arguments again next week on The Mainline Podcast. Mainline Podcast.